Here at Making Movies is Hard, we want to express our support for the WGA strike as well as the SAG-AFTRA strike. We encourage our filmmaker comrades to look into how best they can be allies for the good fight. Please go to WGACONTRACT2023.org to support the cause. Also, please check out SAGAFTRA.org for additional resources. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast. I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, and Tubi. I'm Liz Manishaw. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, and I'm currently making another one called Best Friends Forever. It's a horror comedy. I do sales and do distribution consulting, and I used to work at Sundance. This week, we welcome writer and director Sebastian Toller on the show to talk about directing his first feature this time, his writing process, and how he manages his filmmaking and being a father. But don't go away after the interview, because we play another round of The Game! But first, Ulrich, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah. You know, I think I'm having a lot of fun, you know, with this time off that I'm in right now. This is weeks and weeks before this episode comes out, before my son has been born. I'm in this really joyous zone of just playing with my daughter every day and hanging out with my wife and doing fun things. But I, I had a question for you, Liz. So I, I'm in the I'm experiencing like terrible twos right now. Like Bibi just turned two and she's doing the whole like pushing back and challenging and being contrarian and just being really emotional about nothing all the time. How long did that last for Colin? <laughs> or is it still happening at four for however old it he is? It happens in waves, right? Okay. Like, I think terrible twos is a, a misnomer to a degree because I've also heard terrible threes mm. and Colin is four and a half. And I think he had like three tantrums the other day because he wanted these PJ masks rubber bracelets that were unavailable on Amazon.com. And mm. it was like every five minutes he's like, did you find the bracelets? And then he would cry when I couldn't find them. But I mean, just very emotional. Mm. I did find the bracelets just for what it's worth. I got two sets. But anyway. uh, (laughs) Good job. (laughs) I think the hard thing is responding to it. Right. And holding Mm. firm. Because I think that's the only way to like alleviate it and let them know that Mm. there are boundaries and to make Mm. it easier for the next one. But yeah, it doesn't end like you're going to have tantrums forever. Mm. Okay. I'm uh, I'll I'll, I'm buckling in and preparing. She just had a really funny morning where she's just like, everything was like, not right. Like I wanted to like take out, she had like this, this really fun, like unicorn hoodie on that's got, that's like a short sleeve hoodie, but she'd gotten like all her breakfast and her snacks are just completely covered. And I was trying to get her to go to a, on a walk with me. And I was like, okay, we're going to take this off. And then I unzip it. And then as soon as I unzip it, she's like, not no, cool. She wanted the hoodie on. Taking the hoodie off. I was like, okay. And then like I zipped it back up. Then she didn't want me to zip it back up. because She thought yeah. I was taking it off again. So then I eventually convinced her, let me zip it back up again. <laughs> and then like, I was like, okay, well, can I put a shirt over your shirt? So we can like, cause it's a short sleeve. I want to go outside and make sure, you know, what. Whatever. And so I did. And then, like, you know, I showed Beth, our daughter, with a shirt over this hoodie covered in food underneath and like these pants on. And she's like, You're, she is not going outside like that. And I was no. like, okay, fair enough. Cause she looks like a homeless person. <laughs> and then, of course, when I try to get her to go on a walk anyway, she's like, no, I don't want to go on a walk now. I'm like, oh my God, yep. like, why did we? So this whole morning has been like that. But we we did also have a lot of fun. We watched a movie, we watched Tangled. 
she's watched all the way through and really enjoyed and was tapping along to the songs and everything. So that was cool. So it was a fun morning. But yeah, what's going on here? Well, I want to retract my advice because I'm realizing the, the tantrums you're in are different and like that it's totally OK to to give in sometimes. Right. Yeah. Like that. I think <laughs> my tantrums are a little different than yours, I think. But I remember there's this like great TikTok video about a mom who's like trying to explain tantrums and she's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know that I wasn't allowed to peel your banana peel that way. Like there's just (laughs) these like tiny little things that are going to upset your child that they don't tell you about in advance. So then you have to go get a new banana and let them, you know, it's like, it's insane. It's insane how particular they're there. Oh man. What's What's going on with me? I'm like, it's not that I'm turning away work, but I'm talking myself out of jobs because I don't know when I'm going into labor. So I'm in this very interesting world where I'm doing more consulting than sales and which means I'm watching a lot more movies. So I'm watching four movies this week and I was just thinking like, this is nice. Like, it's really nice to watch a movie and tell a filmmaker that they have merit and try to help them figure out what to do with their movie. It's really sad to tell them over and over again that they're not going to make any money. But it is really nice to be one of the very few people that gets to say to them face to face, this is an objectively good movie and you should put time and energy into it. And congratulations. Like, so I've just been like realizing that that's a part of my job that I do enjoy is like the support part. But everything else is I might reevaluate what I do when I come back from leave because. Oh, interesting. So less sales and more consulting. Possibly. I've Mm. what I feel like I'm I feel like I'm taking advantage of filmmakers by Mm. by selling the producers rep package because it's more money than a lot of them are going to make. But it is the Mm. living wage I need. Right. To do Mm. the work. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to find a way to. I was talking about this on another podcast and I was like, I don't have a plan, but I just don't want to be like we can mention. I'm not going to mention a few names, but there's a few producers reps out there who charge slightly more than me and do the same work. And it's like, I don't really want to be associated with them anymore. Like Mm. I, I would like to be an alternate where my fee reflects the marketplace a little bit more if I can, Mm. if I can afford Mm. to. But that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm going to ask you offline who these people are because I want to I get sure. this sense, you know, <laughs> of who you're talking about. Yeah, that's fascinating. I just, you know, just hearing you talk about watching movies for your job, it just sounds like a lot of fun. I want to do that. It's cool. I, like, can't believe it sometimes. I'm like, oh, this is, like, what I have to do today. I have to watch yeah. this movie. Yeah, it's cool. But you know what people have to do for us if they want to? <laughs> they don't have to, but they can. Only if they want to. If they want yeah. to. They could go to patreon.com slash MMIH podcast, which is our Patreon page. What is Patreon, you ask? Why? Let me tell you. Patreon is a way for people to support artists. They give a monthly fee to contribute to an ongoing effort like a podcast or a movie or a comic writing career. And for us, we put uh, like over 300, close to 350 episodes behind the paywall of Patreon for you to access for just $1.99 a month. So check out that. There's other incentives to join Patreon. It's a lovely service and we'd love to have you part of our Patreon family. Also, don't forget to check out our sponsor, Jambox.io, which is a royalty-free music and SFX company with an emphasis 
on high quality cinematic cues. Their composers have worked on soundtracks for Hollywood level films, working with directors like Michael Bay, Martin Scorsese, global brands like DJI. They even offer customized plans to fit your needs, which is pretty awesome. Without any more delay, here is our chat with Sebastian Tobler. We're here with Sebastian Tobler from This Time. Welcome to the show, show, Sebastian. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. So I am thrilled to have Sebastian here because I actually got to meet you in person at Awesome Film Festival where we had some drinks and chatted and I got to hear about the making of this movie and how crazy it was. And I was like, I think instantly was like, you got to come on the show to talk about this. So I'm glad that we're finally doing it. Before we get into all the good stuff, give us the elevator pitch for this time. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's a romantic drama. So it's set here in Los Angeles. It's about two long lost high school sweethearts who are separated by the 1998 Jakarta riots. And they never had a chance to say goodbye. So, that, But they reconnect. They reconnect in LA for 24 hours. And we follow them through this little you know, reconnection moment. And he's married and has kids and he's moving to the East Coast the next day. And she's this like huge artist, but, you know, kind of lonely because she travels around quite a bit and hasn't really found a, you know, her, her, her way to settling down or if she is going to. We don't know. We will never answer that. It's not up to us. It's for her to decide. And yeah, it's just, you know, it's really it's about the past moving on. It's about just trying to figure out how we reconcile with decisions that we made. And, and ultimately, I'm trying try not to give away too much. Also, we just had a world premiere. So it was like two days ago, like right? Three yeah, days ago, yeah. two days ago? On, on Saturday, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's what it is. It's a little love story here in LA, two-hander. How many days did you shoot? Total principle was 12 days, and we did like four days of pickups. But we did pickups up until like February. So it's a very wow. fresh film. And we wrapped principle at the end of July. So, I mean, this guy is like brand new. <laughs> Less than a year old. Nice. What was the rough budget of the movie or whatever you could say about the budget? Can't talk about that, unfortunately, just yet. Just give us something. Give us like, you, you know, know, some sort of crazy range, something that we can work with here. I don't know anything. <laughs> some crazy range. Okay. It is how oh, my producer said it really well. Mid, mid six figures. Okay. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Liz is I- not looking so convinced. <laughs> I want I want to press. I'm not going to press. You seem nice. I don't want to push it right now. Maybe later. <laughs> Can you tell us the origin of the idea? Sure. So I wrote another script called Kamikaze Blue. And that is sort of my 90s days. I'm confused. Meet Euphoria set in, in Bangkok, Thailand in late 90s that follows expat kids. And that script went to AFF two years ago. And I really want to make that, that film. But I had not yet made... It feels weird to say that. Had not yet made a feature film. And so I was probably not going to get the kind of money I needed to make a 90s period piece in Thailand. So instead, I took sort of the core themes of that story, condensed it and kind of said, well, what happens to these kids 20 years later? You know, was their upbringing a good thing? Was their upbringing amazing? Do they miss it? What, you know, what effect does it have on them now that they're, you know, with, you know, they go into their 30s and 40s and they have time to kind of reflect on all that. And that's how it all started. And I remember on the flight back from Austin, I had outlined, I was outlining, I was just outlining stuff. And then I ended up writing one outline for a, a different script. But then I kept thinking about this. I'm like, well, how, how do I get there? And by March, I had my second draft. And by the next year's Austin Film Festival, I had a full script ready to go. And that's actually where I met my producer. 10 months later, we're on set. 10 months later, here we are. Okay, you answer the question, my next question in that question. So I'm just going to skip it. Okay. And then let's go to, no, that's good. 
if there's one thing that you could change about the movie, like whether it's creative, whether it's process, whatever, like what would that one thing be? Just more time. I wish I had more time. I could have, if I got like, if I had 15 total days, I feel like there's a certain certain scenes that I could have done better. And that's really all it is for me. It's more time. I think the for the for the script that we had, I mean, obviously budget for four more days, right? But I didn't need a better camera. I didn't need more crew. I mean, I guess I could have used the scripty. But I think that even if everything else stayed the same, having ha- having more time just to just to break out some of those days, because it's dialogue heavy, right? I mean, it is it is a conversation story. It is oh, somebody mentioned it the other day. It's like it's like intellectual uh, flirting, right? And <laughs> and and we have long takes. We have long takes, and you kind of need it in, in this kind of storytelling because you know you, if you're cutting back and forth too much, you're you're taking people out of it instead of just watching these two have a wonderful back and forth. So had I had more days, I think there's a couple of scenes I would have liked to kind of like finesse a bit more. Yeah. I want to I want to hear about you meeting your producer at AFF because that was just like immediately dropped and then we moved on. So you met this person. I don't even know who this person is. So maybe you can introduce them. And were they the one that essentially are responsible for greenlighting the film or did they become your creative partner or what kind of teammate was this person and how did you how did you win them over or conversely, how did they win you over? Yeah. So Teresa Chu, she's my producer on this uh, and she's just amazing. She's a fantastic producer. She's a fantastic creative producer with amazing taste, really fantastic taste in cinema and really fantastic sense of story. And I think the reason for that is because she's a fantastic writer. Uh, she actually won the Josephson Fellowship uh, the year we met in 2021 at Austin Film Festival with her script, Lost and Found. And I had never worked with her before. I had never met her before. I had another producer attached to the project and we were like offers were out to actors like a-listers so you, know, you do the whole thing right you do the whole like who your a-lister be try to raise money your whole life depends on it the whole thing will fall apart without you blah 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 and then you know you do that dance and we were in the middle of that dance uh, while i was in austin meeting to, uh, Teresa. we were geeking at we were at the barbecue line the austin film festival has that big barbecue right and we were just we met at the barbecue line and at that point i was not eating meat <laughs> which turned out to be a very good talking uh, way to introduce yourself to people at a barbecue. And we hit it off. We hit it off. We nerded out on, we were both on an Ozu kick. Yashu Zero Ozu films were just like, I don't know, we were obsessed with them at the time and uh, obsessed with like his framing. We were obsessed with like the, ta- the tatami shots. We were like just talking about all these things and how people flow in and out of the spaces and my obsession with spaces and all this will ma- makes it, oh, by the way, all these obsessions make it to our film. And we just, that's all we did. We just kept nerding out on Japanese cinema and ended up hanging out during the festival. AFF does the thing where, you know, locally they, they do like a happy hour thing. We did that. We ran into each other over and over again. When I got back from AFF, my producer who was attached to the film at the time had a complete like breakdown and decided to quit the industry. <laughs> at the same time, we were sort of, what, how many days in? 60 something days into waiting on an offer from uh, an A-lister who then announced that, that they were going to have a baby and then couldn't do it. They announced it publicly. We learned it through the, the <laughs> through, through press. And it was a controversial baby because the dad was hitched or whatever. Anyway, so made the ways, you know, made ways. Oh, I, oh I, I know who this is now. I automatically now. Yeah. Okay, go on. Please, sorry. Oh, yeah. man, I wish um, I knew. I wish I had that push it together. Oh, well, anyways. I'll say it yeah. when we're not recording. Yep, yep, yep. And 
And so that at that point, it was dead in the water for me, right? Like at that point, like I was like, okay, now we're like, there's nothing. I got nothing. I got no cast. I paid for a casting director. I have <laughs> no producer. It was like nothing. And and it was not, and I understand. Trust me, I, I get it. Life's life's hard. Life sucks. Industry's hard. It burns people out. You know, it's not easy. And I totally respect the decision. I have no like no hard feelings at all. You can't hold something like that against somebody. But it definitely felt it was it was kind of like you know it's a lonely feeling, right? I mean, being a director, being a writer, director, being a filmmaker is gets pretty lonely. And so at that point, I was like, damn, I'm like just kind of like we went from like full speed to zero really fast. So I went to happy hour. And uh, I I shared the script with Teresa just because I was telling her about it. She really liked it. And so I went to this happy hour. I'm like, I lost it all. <laughs> I come back with nothing. <laughs> I've conquered nothing in Austin. <laughs> and, but I was like, it's okay. We're gonna, I'm going to keep finding a producer, blah, blah, blah. And then Teresa was like, well, I'm a producer. I'm like, get, to, get the hell out of here. And she's like, yeah. And I produced a feature already and all this stuff. And and so I sent her a bunch of things and I had meetings with other producers and conversations were going well, but you know, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed her, like just our sense of cinema. We had just really good taste and like similar taste. I shouldn't say really good taste. That's terrible. But you know, we love the same kind of films, uh, same kind of art house films and, and, and classic cinema. So we start talking about comps. We start sharing films. We start talking about like, hey, watch this, watch that, watch this, watch that. And pretty soon it's clear that we were on the same page. And the rest is just ignorance, right? The rest is just like, you know, there's certain things you just should not know in your first fe- going into your first feature, because if you do, you might not do it. That's exactly like, I learned that from her. And what's really nice, our collaboration was very unique. She's very much the slow down. Let's make sure that all the pieces fit together perfectly kind of a person. I am the let's go. We're never going to get this done. If we keep slowing down. If we don't, then blah, 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 blah. And I'll keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And that really works. And we don't hate each other still. Like we still like each other, I should say. We are still friends and we still geek out and we still go to festivals together. So that's a good sign. And yeah, and I think that it's it's great to have somebody say, no, this cast's not done. We're not done with this yet. Let's sit down and do it, do it again. Let's do it again. We got to find a different way to approach the story. Is this the story we're wanting to tell? Every time we came to a decision, that was the question she had for us was always, if we do this, we're going to get this. Is that what we want? And it was that kind of relationship, that creative relationship that we had. And it's really fantastic. And I feel very, very lucky, actually. It's not easy to come by um, that kind of partnership. So what was your situation with finances? Because like, like you said, once you lost your producer, you had nothing that you're like basically starting from square one. So like when Teresa came on board, like how did you attack fundraising? Like what was your plan of attack and how did it work out? Yeah, well, so obviously I put my money in there and then I also had investors attached prior to her joining. So we had that going for us and we didn't we didn't lose that kind of momentum. And then we ended up attracting two more investors to help us finish the picture. I do have to say that majority, the majority of the people that got this film made or made it possible had nothing to do with, uh, with the film industry. And that's kind of like a learning I want to kind of spread everywhere, right? I'm sure everybody, you know, you've heard it before, like, don't be, don't be an asshole, right? Like, <laughs> like don't, don't be an asshole to anybody is what I would add to that. And, and what I mean by that is, like I said, like 80, like, you know, 80% of the people who, who made this happen, lawyers, IT folks, just normal human beings, not in this crazy business. And I just have known them for such a long time and have been, you know, sort of focused on, on just being a good friend over the, the years that they just gave what they could and not money. And I'm talking about like their homes that we have this beautiful house uh, in East Los Angeles that we shoot in. We shot in there for like 
eight days, you know, and a place like that would probably have cost us 30, 40 grand easily. And we got it for free. Actually, I got it for $600. That's how much their hotel stay in Palm Springs was. Um, (laughs) And the video store we shoot, we shot it. I've been going to that video store for like eight years, you know, just because I love hanging out there and being there. And and one day I was like, Hey, Mark, and Mark is the character. And Mark is also the owner of the place. And Mark was at our premiere, which is cool. And I was like, Mark, I want to shoot in here. What's it going to cost me? He's like, well, yeah, we we can shut it down for a couple hours, blah, 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 1,500 bucks, done. And so, you know, it was, it's that kind of thing. It's that kind of, you know, that's what you get if you're not an asshole, right? You get locations, you get people that care about you. You get lifelong friends, most importantly. And they come, they come, they come and support, you know, one of the reasons why we chose to to premiere here was because of that. It, it was a community effort and everybody came out to support. They wanted to, they wanted to be a part of the whole process in that way. And it's very exciting for them. And we we're really happy that they were part of that. So, you know, I always think that there's two sides to the money thing, right? There's cash. And then there's a lot of the stuff you can get for no cash. A lot of the, you know, the heart equity, right? Like the, the emotional equity you get from people, it's more powerful many times than, than dollars can be. We were shooting in Pasadena. Pasadena is notoriously difficult to get permits for and notoriously expensive, right? Uh-huh. And we managed mm-hmm. to get a hundred year old craftsman for nothing. Wow. Um, Amazing. The only reason is because the owners of that house across the street, their neighbors were my, our close friends and they become friends with this, this, these neighbors. And it was Bob and Terry. I'm not, I'm not going to give out last names just because, but Bob <laughs> and Terry's home, beautiful crafts. So we had base camp across the street from location. And Bob and Terry were like, look, you're going to do the walk and talk up and down the street. A neighbor's going to come out. They're going to give you shit for it. They're going to ask you about permits when they do. And and like and they said, like, like specifically when they do, because they will, they will come out and give you shit. When they do, tell them you're shooting something that's Bob and Terry's project. And I did. And it happened. And, and they were mean. They were out there. Where's your permit? <laughs> middle middle shot, you know, middle of the take. And I'm like, oh, no, this is Bob and Terry's project. And like, oh, Bob and Terry, you go on right ahead. You know, and that's it's like, amazing. Oh, the devil and like you know the angel like just switching places you know before our eyes <laughs> well i want to go back to something you said you said that you had investors before you had cast attachments right before yes. and before you brought your new producer Teresa, on what is that pitch what did that pitch look like we had we actually didn't have a formal like in-person pitch to be honest with you we had the deck ready to go the producer who was attached prior to departing prior to, to Teresa, i had a working relationship with this particular investor and had expressed uh, that they wanted to invest more in their next into the next project that they worked on. And that was really the genesis of it. I really didn't have much much involvement in the pitch of that. No. We were introduced, we met up for coffee, we talked about the story. It was really the story that captivated captivated the the, the investor. They, you know, everybody found something personal to to hook onto in, in, in the script. And for this particular person, they had recently lost a former an, an ex. They'd lost an ex, like they passed that ex ex had passed away. And they and and they never had a chance to they never had a chance for closure, right? So very similar circumstances in a way emotionally to the characters and what they go through, and they wanted to be a part of that, you know. And in some way, they felt that it was kind of like closure um, to have it, you know. That's sort of like the power story, right? Like you you get to see it externalized and play out, and, and the what ifs 
you know, a lot of people were really into the what ifs. Everybody has got a what if of some sort. That was the hook. That was what hook. That was the emotional hook for that particular investor. For our other two investors, they, by, by the time they jumped on, they helped us with finishing funds. But then they hopped on. They had heard so many great things from our actors about the process and where we're at and, and what we were doing and the story and, and the style. We had like, by that point, we had clips to share. We had, you know, teasers. And they really liked the direction we were going in. And I think that made, obviously, that makes it a lot easier when it's tangible, right? So this is your first feature. You know, it's premiering now. It just premiered. Well, how, how are you feeling as an artist, basically? Like, this is something that I dealt with a lot after my first feature was done. It was like, how do I feel as an artist? Like, what do I... What do I want next in my life? Like, do you feel like making this movie has prepared you for like the career of a writer director that you've been going after? Or do you feel like this is just one step towards the next level? Or do you feel like, oh, I don't even want to make a movie anymore? Like, how are you feeling after doing this whole process? I feel, I, I mean, first of all, I feel great. I feel that the premiere was amazing. We had close to between four and 500 people in the auditorium, which was really fantastic. I got our first review that helped. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank God. And uh, it's, it, it's, you know, it's funny. It's like when you carry something heavy for a very long time. And I, and I mean, beyond the scope of the, the project. I mean, like, you know, my wife and I came out here. My DP followed. It was 10 years ago, 11 years ago. We're all, we left Washington, D.C. together. And we're like, we're going to make a movie. Like, we're going to, we're going to, one, you know, the two of them, they're going to break in and I'm going to make a feature film. We got to do it. We got to make it. We're going to make it happen. And, you know, 10 years, 11 years is a long time. So that weight, right? You carry that weight on you for that long. And now it's gone. So I'm feeling a little like off balance, if you will. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, I think that if you're a filmmaker and you haven't made something and you're, or you're not being offered anything or you're, you don't have any money, which is a lot of us, right? You need to be writing. Like you just need to be writing. And that has really benefited me right now is that I have several features written and I have a next thing to do, right? I have my next projects I want to do. I still have the energy to do it. The one thing going into this production I really wanted was I, I didn't want it to be brutal. Like I did not want it to be a production that was was just so demanding physically and emotionally that nobody would want to work together again. It could only work like I wrote the thing to make it doable, right? That was like strategic in my, on my behalf. I, I was like, I want to make this very doable. I want anybody to read the script to say we can make this. And I want them to say we can make this and have fun. And, and that means a lot of prep work for me. So I learned a lot of things, but the most important thing was I know how I want to live as a filmmaker now. Like I don't want to suffer and make other people suffer through a production ever again, because this was such a fun thing. It was so doable. And I think that, you know, Fincher does it really well. He's like, you want this kind of picture? It's going to cost this kind of money, right? And I think when you get a sense of that, it doesn't have to be like, it's got to cost this kind of money. It's got to be like, well, there's this emotional piece to it too. You know what I mean? Like if we're going to make a movie for this much, let's strip it down a bit or build it up. But whatever it is, it's got to be like, it's got to be holistic in terms of like, you got to be able to, to stand up again afterwards and say, I want to do this again. And I want to do it like 10 more times. That's where I'm at right now. I've got, I feel like I'm coming off of this with a lot of energy. I'm feeling really great. The community aspect of it, it was massive. I don't think that, I think people are missing out if you don't engage your community. And I think that, you know, we had the, we had the option to, to go to New York. I'm not going to say where. We had the option to premiere New York in the summer. And we had to make a decision on LA Asian. LA Asian is not a big festival, but, but the it is a, there. But it is a well-loved, sorry, just, just a yes. very loved yes. film festival. Very loved. 
very loved, very powerful community. And they were giving us a spotlight, man. I mean, like they're not calling it centerpiece this year because they're more about like the wellness of filmmakers, et cetera. So they're not making anybody feel competitive. But technically, I mean, the founder came up to founder of VC came up to us and was like, you know, technically, you know, before they removed the name of it, this is the centerpiece night. And they gave that to us. And they, when they told us this, we're like, wow, they're really rallying around us. And this feels really good. And it feels better than a shiny laurel, like a really shiny laurel, right? And we decided, you know what? That's what this is about. This, the Los Angeles is a character in this film. There's so many people that, are, that made this happen. They're all here. How amazing of a feeling would it be if we could just get everybody together and celebrate together? And I think that that's what, why I'm still standing like on two feet. <laughs> Like it's because of that. And I think that's what I want going forward. You know what I mean? It's like, I want to make the movies that, that resonate that way. Yeah. That has, has that effect. It's very warming. It's like, yeah, sure. We all want to make, you know, we all make more make money. We all want to get seen, et cetera. But to be embraced, I don't know if there's a price tag on that one. Like that's, that's very special, you know, to be embraced is I think I'd rather that than fame or money. Like, you know what I mean? So I think that's why I feel like today I feel hopeful, I feel very hopeful because it's kind of like, I'm a very like process kind of oriented guy. Like once I understand how to solve a problem, I like to replicate it and then make it a little bit better, make it a little better. But so long as I have like that vision of like, okay, this is what, this is my style. This is what I'm going for. And by style, I don't mean like a look necessarily or a feel necessarily. A style isn't like, this is like the way, a way of doing things. I want to do it this way. Everybody on set loved each other. Like we did not, there was no hate. There was no pressure. We didn't go over. We didn't, you know, we didn't ask. I think we asked for grace once. And there's just this genuine feeling of like, oh, this is what filmmaking is about again. You know, our sound guy was great. He was like, yeah, I, I thought I was done with this play, like Hollywood. It's done with uh, filmmaking. And then just like this production kind of reminded me that it's still possible not to be on a shitty set, you know? So that, that meant a lot to me. I think that's what keeps me going. Sorry if I'm long-winded to this answer, but I feel like it's a very intricate, very important thing to kind of say that you're not going to be able to do it on your own. You're not going to be able to stand on your feet on your own after production like this. You need people you really do need people to to be there with you for the journey and they're the ones who are gonna to, they're gonna keep you upright you know i'm thinking about how you met Ulrich at aff and how you met Teresa at aff and i don't know how you and i connected but we're twitter friends and i, I like i don't i'm very picky about who i follow for what it's worth <laughs> so there's something about you that i think is drawing people in and I just want to know if you're self-aware about that. Like you, you, you kind of described the environment you set up on set. Many people are shy. I, the reason I'm asking this is to see if there's a takeaway we can have for filmmakers who have a hard time presenting themselves. So it's like, okay. are you shy? Are you naturally comfortable in your skin? Is it, do you live by principles of authenticity? Like what is it that kind of carries all of these things and ties them all together. I'm definitely an extrovert, but I really would prefer to stay home <laughs> most of the time. I think I learned something a long time ago about like meeting people and, and like networking, if you will, if you want to use the word. And I, I did this to Ulrich. <laughs> I did this to Ulrich at AFF. I can say, I can say it now. You go into you go into like a networking situation, like a you know happy hour or whatever. And I, you know you have friends that are well intentioned who are a bit you know they want to help you out. They're like, oh, you need to talk to that person. Just talk to that person. You should meet this person. You should meet that person. And then the underlying thing, right, is like, is to is to try and get something out of them, right? I, I learned a long time ago that 
one going into a room like that, you're gonna feel you're already undermined who you are right off the bat. You've already said to yourself, I'm gonna go and get something from somebody. It's gonna be like aggressive. And you're either gonna overcompensate or you're gonna be feeling nervous about it. Because what's happening is you're kind of saying, All right, you have this thing that I want. I'm now like I've now put myself downhill. I put you on a pedestal and I need to get to your level, which is kind of bullshit, right? And I've always been of the mind that True impact is, is not what you can take from somebody. It's what you can give to somebody, right? It's how can I support you? How can I help you out? How can I add value to your life? And that's what I always go in with, no matter what. And then sticking to it, that's the easy part, right? You say that and, and you don't follow through. That's bullshit. You got to follow through. So anecdotally, so when I met Ulrich, <laughs> we were at this uh, party, you know, it was like a mezcal bar and a tequila bar and a rum bar. It's all these bars mixed up together and it's all free. I definitely, I was drinking out of like a Petri dish thing. It was <laughs> spilling like mezcal everywhere. Um, do you remember that? I was, I was yeah, like, I do. I, I remember that. <laughs> I will never forget what you said because somebody was like, are those shots? And you were like, no. No, they're not. Have one. And it was just really like a really funny sweet. Like, like obviously they're shots. Of course they're shots. Yeah. But you're like, don't think of it as a shot. Just think of it as, yeah, a, yeah. as a drink. It's fine. It's just a drink. We're yeah, sipping, I don't you know. know. We're just sipping this. <laughs> it's pretty um, And so I meet Ulrich. And immediately I do the same thing. I'm like, you know, like learn about him. And I'm like, tell me what you're up to. Blah, blah. And I'm looking for ways to like, how am I going to help this guy? You know, how, how do I support this guy? And then he's like, "Oh my, you know, my my uh, my co my co-host was supposed to do this panel with me, and then and or was to this panel. I wasn't even supposed to be here, and <laughs> now I'm doing this thing. I'm doing it tomorrow, and I'm like, of course, this is like me for oh yeah, in. and I'm like, all right, I will be there for you at your panel, three o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, four tequila shots, or <laughs> sorry, four mezcal drinks." <laughs> Yeah, drinks. And, and I'm like, yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, will you really? You're like, and I'm like, yeah, I will, I will be there for you. And I'm like, I'm like, what time is it? He's like, 9 a.m. I'm like, <laughs> I will be there. For you. <laughs> uh, and he was, he was there <laughs> cheering me on, you know, yeah. as I was doing my introductions and everything. And yeah, yeah said, said, what's up afterwards. It was really sweet. It was great. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I, I dragged my ass out of bed. I, I grabbed a coffee and a, and a breakfast taco at some random spot. And there it was. Probably smelled yes. high heaven. But, hey, I made it. I <laughs> made it. <laughs> so I think that's what it is. That's for me. I mean, like, that's the thing is, uh, I, again, I, I never asked it. all the people that were involved in, in helping out with the film. Like I mentioned, that, went, that didn't have anything to do with filmmaking. Same deal. I just never asked for anything for the longest time. I've always found ways to give to them. And when the time came, you actually also know what's what you're, you know, if you do that, we invest in somebody in that relationship, you know what they are capable of giving and what is ridiculous to ask for, right? Like you just don't ask for like crazy things. You ask the right things to the right people. And the only way to ask the right things is to know them well. And that's it. I think that's what it is. And I think I've been, I've been sort of op- trying to operate on that for the longest time now. Like it's, you know, it's, it's hard. You don't, you can't always see it through. You miss things, but it's the effort, right? And I think it goes back to that way of life thing. I think once you figure out what way of life you want to live, you know, it makes it easier to, to navigate, to navigate a lot of the ambiguous, there's a lot of ambiguity, right? So it makes it a lot easier just to have that as, a, as sort of like a keel of sorts. So I wanted to hear a little bit about your process on your set. Like what what were some of the things that you did as a director and that you really liked that you felt like, OK, I'm going to do this next time. And are, what are some things that you 
you you don't want to do on your next movie that you learn from that you're going to like do something a little bit different when you go back onto your next set. I feel like directing happens before you get on set. I'm heavy on pre-production, very heavy on my, you know, myself. I don't, you don't need anybody to get, get started. I think once you have a script, even if it's a draft, start breaking that thing down, break it down all the way down to like where the turn is, you know, every beat, every turn, every intention, map that all out. I mapped everything out. And it starts there. My script breakdown process is what I'm most proud of. Once I have it all broken down and I know every intention at every beat for each character, there's sort of three characters in this and we're in a breakdown, so to speak, for, for this, this script. There's the two leads, obviously any other supporting cast members. Uh, and then there's a camera as a, as a character, right? And I treat the camera as a character and give it its intentions as well. And that's really comes down to like what the scene intention is. I start off with thinking about what the opening, you know, like the opening emotion, ending emotion. That's how I find, that's my two, I'm here and I need to get to here. And this has got to be the turn. Basic stuff like that, right? Once I map that out, then it's just like emotions, intentions, and then direction. And then that's that's how I put it all together ahead of time. Then when I shot list, I think about like what framing, what angles, what, uh, what lens sizes uh, evoke that. What's my scene objective as a director? What's the character scene objective? Those are all informed, that all informs the shot list for me. But then I get shot listing on that. What also ends up happening is when you do like a complete scene analysis or script analysis, at least for me, I get through the end of it and I'm like, huh, I need to write a couple of things differently. Or this starts off with the same emotions as it ends with. So that's not a complete scene because that's not where my movie is going to end. So I, I do it again. And I, and I get these ideas along the way. Because then you start to ask a lot of questions, right? Because I don't know about you guys. I start off like just, what am I trying to, you know, what am I trying to answer here? I don't know what my question is yet. And then I find out what my question is and I have to go rewrite the thing. And then I keep going and then I start asking about like, well, what are, what are their questions? What are their lies? And then we start when we keep building off of that. And then it just keeps, the nice thing is that like you're building this movie in your head way ahead of time. And by the time you end up having conversations with people like producers, et cetera, you know, it like the back of your hand and there's not a single thing that you can't answer. My goal going into, going into set, if, if at all possible, at least it is with my cinematographer, we've been together, we've been working together for a long time is there shouldn't be anything we need to ask each other. Unless it's unplanned, unless there's something that happens that's completely not in, in, in the playbook, there's really not much to talk about. There shouldn't be. So that's why I, I spent a ton of time, months ahead of time, getting this all down. And and I think that what that does too is, and this is why I'm most proud of it, that's what leads to that calm set, right? That's what leads to that clear communication. It leads to the, there's no running around. We all know what we need. And we're just in sync. And once your department heads are in sync, then everybody beneath them should be as well. If you, if you trust your department and they're, and they're good communicators, things kind of line up nicely. But that's that's the key piece to it all to me. In terms of what I could do better, you know, sometimes you get I get lost in the in the heat of like the of the acting while we're playing it out. And I want and this is why I want more time. And then we end up playing a bit more, right? First take for me is always like, let's just get it out. Let's let's play. Let's just do whatever. In rehearsals, what I'll do is like, say like, this scene, I want you to play like a 50s noir, right? Not what we're doing. Doesn't matter. Next scene, we're going to play like a Western. You know, just just get it out of your system. And what happens is we get to that first take on the day of, and it's kind of like, hey, remember when we tried to do this like straight and it was just not working? And then we did it as a Western and we had fun and it was fine after that. Let's do that again. And then we do, and then we get it. We get it in the third, second, third take. And usually I think the most takes I've ever had was I think five or six, usually because of some issue. But but I think that I would get lost in like the improv sometimes. Like, oh, that's an interesting idea. Let's try that. 
And then before I know it, I didn't get my the line that I wanted the way I wanted it, you know? So that's why I would want more, just more playtime, if you will, with the actors and to not, and to stick to the, stick to your, stick to your words, man. Like your script got you there. Your script got you there that, you know, got you all the way there. You might, you should stick to those words, even if, if they are being questioned. And it's good to be questioned. It's good to be like, hey, can I try it this way? Or what does this really mean? Like, yeah, let's try different ways, et cetera. But, the, you know, my mistake was I didn't build enough, like enough time to get it right the way we wrote it in some cases. In one particular case, it was Teresa's favorite line that didn't make it because we didn't have good delivery of it, which sucks because that's like, you know, it's my creative partner and I wanted, I wanted her to have, to have that line. It's what got her involved in the project. So that, that is a regret of mine, if, if there was one. So that's something that's going to stick to my mind. It's going to be like, okay, cool. Let's try whatever you want. But first I need this. I need to solve one of these, you know? Yeah. The way you answered the first half of that question is exactly what I'm striving to do with my next feature. It is like to the T I was like over here, like writing notes, reminding myself of the process that I want to go through that you, it seems to be so natural. I, I, we, we have to move on to the final six questions, but I just really wanted to give you credit and and to appreciate you for a second. With the next 13 minutes, (laughs) we have six questions we like to ask everyone. The first one is what's the first film you ever made? and interpret that however you want to interpret that and how do you feel about it now first film i ever ever made Ooh, that's a good question i think it was my friends and i made up a kung fu movie and we were 10 <laughs> and all we wanted to do was trying to find a way to do like the fight scenes there was no story obviously you don't need a story what you need is a shoe and a camera and you put the shoe in your can and and you put the camera behind the shoe and you fly at your friend and you go <laughs> and then they go like this. Wait, for those listening, you are slapping someone in the face with the shoe. Yes. Is yes. that an accurate description? Pretend, okay. Pretend sorry. Yeah. You know, and then we would, we would do this thing where we would dub ourselves. So we would move, we would like, we would not even say anything. And then we would dub over our voices <laughs> in VHS and we would, we would edit using VHS decks. Oh man. So we had those old high eights. We put it in like the, the case, put that in the VHS player and you just hit the record and jockey to that thing. That's what we said. So I don't know what we called those, but that was a lot of fun. I guess that would be my first one. I'd love to find that. That would be, I love that movie, wherever you are. And I think you're better because I don't see you because it's in my head and everything's beautiful in my mind. Like when I think about it, so, you know, it's not what Yodorowsky said, like, oh, the Dune he made was the best movie ever because it was never made. It's just in his mind. That's funny. What's the best filmmaking advice that you've ever received? I've ever received. Answer, be prepared to answer every question you would have about your work and why you're doing it. Uh, I think that's the best advice I've ever gotten. I don't know who that genius was, but I remember that specifically. That's really important. Because I think if you can, yeah, because if you can answer it all, people will have confidence in you, right? They, they, they'll believe in you. Nice. Could you share some bad advice or what? The question is, what's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received? But... Some people don't receive bad advice. So what's what's example? What's an example of some bad advice? Bad advice. Mm, bad advice. Let's see. It all comes down to you. I think it's bad advice because I think that's misinterpreted a lot. I don't know if that's the worst thing. I mean, it all comes down to you as in like, like you can, I don't know. I guess if you're, yeah, I mean, I guess if you have a bad attitude, it comes down to that bad attitude and like, or if you have a good attitude, it comes down to that and what, what, how it does the tone. But there's also the sense of like, I don't know, like, like it's all up to you. It's not really, I don't know. I, look, I get auteur theory and all that. I think 
I don't know. I'd rather not. <laughs> you didn't go for all tour theory because there's so many great people to work with. And it's like, you know, there's just, just like so ideas are so much better when they're like bouncing off of each other and the energy's right. I mean, yeah, I guess if you, if, I don't know, I'm, I'm rambling now. I'm trying to think of like she advice. Never given she advice yet. I'm trying to give she advice. Serve. Oh, she advice is uh, serving cold cuts in, on a cold day. That's a shitty piece of advice to take money. <laughs> oh yeah, cut cut the food budget. That's that's terrible. That's terrible advice. That's that's one. I'm trying to think of more. It's all good. I'm gonna like I- text you guys at three in the morning. I got one. <laughs> the the whole auteur theory thing is great. I I feel like it's just misinterpreted because yeah. like you know people will put so much like weight on these guys like Scorsese and Tarantino or Catherine Bigelow or whoever you know and like it's yeah. not just them. It's like their people around them are incredible. Like they they pull together like the best most talented teams in the world really you know and it's their collaboration with those people which makes their film special. And yeah. our society, especially in America, I think of like of, uh, of filmmaking, like Hollywood is to put, you know, put some one person up, you know, and I feel like that's just a completely misdirected thing because it's not yeah. one person. It's 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 the collaboration. That's what makes a film is the collaboration, you know, and I think right. all those people would, would would say that, you know. Yeah. I mean, also, it's kind of like, you know, we're we're any artist is standing on the shoulder of the ones before them, right? We're standing on the shoulders of the Greeks, right? In the dramatic arts. And we all have a lineage. We all have a lineage. We all have a creative lineage. And I think people should respect that. I think they should kind of respect it and kind of say, like, people don't think about this, right? Robert, Robert, Bob Altman. No Bob Altman, no P.T. Anderson, right? Not happening. Um, Chantal Ackerman. No Chantal, no Richard Linklater. Not happened, right? Uh, 1970s cinema. No 1970s cinema, no Quentin Tarantino. You know, like they're just yeah. like, there's just, there's just all, you know, we're, we're just, we're part of this bigger thing. It's, a, it's called a canon for a reason and auteur or not, like you, you are part of that, you know? And uh, I think that that just needs a lot more respect. There's, I mean, like you think about like the Italians, right? Like you think about like Luca Guadagnino, Luca Guadagnino learned from Bertolucci, Bertolucci learned from Pasolini, right? I mean, that's just, that goes all the way back, you know? And I think it's unfortunate that like people think that it's just the one person and maybe that is the magic, right? The magic is to make it your own, which is important too. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna get to my real question. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? Yes, I do. At least with the films that I've written, my goal is like, I want people to kind of just be so present, so involved in that moment. And I think that's why I'm really obsessed with time, the use of time, either to compress it or extend it. Right now I'm just compressing it, right? I'm keeping the camera, keeping the scenes in, in a shorter, shorter time frame. And I think I want to do that because three months, six months down the line, somebody, you know, after somebody's seen one of my films, I want them to kind of question whether or not it was their experience, a real memory, or if it was just a movie they saw. I want them to really feel as if though, like, oh, I've lived through this, through these characters. There's not much, if you think about memory, like I mean, cinema is the closest thing we have to replicating memory, right? We think, we, rec- we recall our lives in that format, flashing images, you know, non-linear. And I kind of want to tap into that a bit more and, and really be a part of people's lives in that way. I'm like hoping that our unpaid intern, uh, California Jones, takes that out as their social media quote. So, <laughs> California Jones, if you hear me, if you could go back in time, what's the one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Uh, if I can go back in time, try to watch Blue Velvet in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> fully supportive. Fully supportive. <laughs> yeah. That and I think also 
Find your routine. Oh yeah, this is it. This is what I would tell myself. Find your routine like early. Find your creative routine way early. Doesn't mean make stuff. It just means find it like now. Because so this is kind of nuts. I wake up. Well, now I have, I've been taking it a lot easier. But when I'm in full writing mode, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning. I go to bed around nine. So I don't. This is the this is the introvert part of me. And I go to bed at nine. I wake up at three. I, I just write out morning pages. Like just get out of my head. Just write it out longhand. Just meditation. By four o'clock comes around, then I hit the pages, right? Then I start typing or like just mapping things out, getting ideas out of the way. Before I used to, and then by seven o'clock, I'm done. And usually because seven o'clock, my son's up and I got to be up and I'm taking him to school. I didn't realize that when you do that, you're like, you're done. <laughs> like you've gotten your creative thing done. First thing, like you are, you can feel good. Like the rest of the day, all the bullshit you have to do, at least you got your pages wow. done, man. You know, and it's very fulfilling to be able to say, hey, I knocked it out. I'm, you know, I'm good. I didn't, I didn't slack off like creatively. And I used to not do that. I used to be like the nighttime guy. I used to be like the nine o'clock to 3 a.m. guy. And we're just like, it would be brutal. You get the whole day, you got to get out of your system first. And like, you got to get all this shit like processed. And like, then you can start writing and it's three in the morning. You've done like half a page. You're pissed off still. You go to bed pissed off and all that. Since I started doing this new routine, I've been averaging about a page, page and a half every day. And then I, so I've been cranking them out and it feels really good because then you got a rhythm and then, you, you know, then, then like, then you, you're just, you're just feeling better about yourself. The second piece of advice is get into a writing group as soon as possible. Like as soon as possible, find yourself writing groups and build your community. Yeah. I mean, you're, if you're a solo writer without a group, I remember it took me like, what, like three months to get two people to give me notes. You know, that's three months of your life waiting for notes. But then you're like four drafts in and it still sucks. And you could have used these notes like two, like two and a half months ago. <laughs> writing group, it's like, boom, you got notes, you know, from six people. I mean, use them or don't use them, but at least you got notes. <laughs> and it just speeds up your whole thing so much more. Okay. And last question, is making movies hard? Yes. Yes, it is. It really is. But then again, replicating reality should be hard. I mean, <laughs> so we're just doing. We are oh replicating God. it, right? I think I mean, you're my favorite interview. <laughs> no, no one has said that or something like that before. Oh That's really God. great. Oh, cool. <laughs> Out of like 400 or so people <laughs> I've, we've talked to on the show, no one yeah, said man. that answer. That's what we're doing. You know, I mean, how long did God, God's, God's principle of photography time is amazing. But that is, <laughs> we can't do that. You know, oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's why it's for, that's why it's so difficult. You know, Thank we're you. humans. <laughs> all right. So what should people do if they want to support you? Is there a trailer they should all run and watch? Is there a new festival going to come soon? Like when, what should people do? How should they follow you and support you? Yeah, we're, we're just, I'm just doing everything through my socials. If you want to follow along, it's at Sebastian underscore Tobler on IG and Sebastian Tobler at on, on uh, Twitter. But we are screening at Campfest, so we're moving. We're going up to the Bay Area, and we'll be nice. screening at the New Parkway on the twenty-first at six thirty. We have the closing night film of Campfest, which is kind of cool. We, we kind of opened open we, opening weekend in LA, closing in in the Bay, which is cool. Nice. But I will be there on Thursday for their opening night's film and opening night gala thing. And then coming back here and then going back there for the screening. I have family there, so it's cool. But yeah, that's where we'll be next. And we're just starting our festival run. Don't know what we'll be after that. Hopefully we'll find uh Phil's distribution thing going on. That whole that whole conversation starting. That's a whole new world to me. That's like, wow. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> you know? This will tell you. It's nuts. Yeah.
Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show. It's time to hear the question for the game. The game. So what's the game, you ask? Well, let me tell you. The game is a homespun handmade segment from our producer, Eric Toms, where he puts forth an indie film challenge quandary question, a hypothetical scenario where we read these blindly and try to figure out what we would do in these situations. And this one is for Ulrich, and he's never heard it, and I've never read it. So let's let's figure out if we have an answer. Ulrich, you've written a script and landed a financier who is single-handedly paying for your next film. Wow. A few, yeah, I mean, I, uh, question mark, question mark, exclamation point. A few days into production, the financier has a note, which you honor because they're paying the bill and it's not too intrusive of an idea. Then the next day, they have two notes, which you honor. The next day, it's three notes. You very quickly realize that you've been scammed into making this person's vision of the film and not your original script. Do you, A, take all the notes and just end up making the film the person is asking for because they footed the bill? B, walk off the set the day you realize this is happening, the person has wasted your time and put your creative integrity at risk? C, have a meeting with the financier where you put your foot down and explain that you want to shoot the script you both agreed on. And although you're open to notes, these decisions cannot be made without unanimous creative consent. D, what do you do, director? What do you do? C, for sure. If that conversation hasn't already taken place, which it almost certainly would have before making the movie. But yeah, definitely would have would just sit, sit down and be like, hey, like these notes are great. Like, I don't agree with, with these ones that this came in. So I'm not going to be taking those because it's not a part of what we agreed upon. And this is why I'm open to hearing, you know, your your thoughts and, you know, suggest, you know, on that. But like. You know, I'm willing to compromise. I'm willing to discuss, you know, but like in the end, like I really love the movie that we both agreed upon and I really want to make that version of the movie. And so like, let's just try to stay on track and make sure that whatever we do to change it doesn't deviate from the vision that we both agreed upon and had for this in the beginning. Yeah, I think that's what you got to do. And like, you know, I don't think walking away is something that you want to consider because like it would have to be really bad for that to happen. I think you just need to work with this person, like just collaborate with them because that's what filmmaking is. It's a collaborative medium. I basically had an investor like this on my movie that was like really wanted to be involved and was very clear from the beginning that they wanted to, you know, give input on every level of the project um, from the script from the very beginning before we shot to like, you know, in post and the amount of notes I got from this person was gargantuan. It was very, very large. And I sometimes I took his advice and sometimes I didn't. Sometimes it came we came to a third solution based off of his his thoughts and my reaction to his thoughts. And then sometimes I just didn't take it at all, you know? And then like looking back at the movie now, there's like definitely things that like there's things that we didn't do that I wish we had done because the third thing that we came up instead, like the, th- like he had an idea and then I had a reaction to his idea and then we're like, okay, well this is a new opening scene for the movie that we're going to make. Like we didn't even use it. We like didn't use it at all. So now I'm like, well shit, like I wish I would have shot my original opening that like I really, that I originally had written and then like, you know, then maybe that would have worked and, and maybe we would have gone with that instead. But like, he just couldn't, he couldn't visualize what I wanted to do in the opening and it just didn't make sense to him. And so we just scrapped it and came up with something else. 
that I thought was just as good. But like then that didn't make any sense or work for the story. And so then that ended up going. But I mean, more than likely, there's probably a good chance that the original opening scene would have gotten cut anyways. But like now in the aftermath, I'm like, I kind of wish I wish I could have shot both so I would know if the other one would have worked. But, you know, like that's just how things go. Yeah, Liz, what would you do in this situation? No, I think your answer is like probably the best possible answer of the options that are given. I would probably pick another, which is. I usually have three three capital P producers on every feature that I work on. I mean, it's just it's been the first two and it looks like I have three capital P producers for this one and it just works out that way for some reason. And I like the idea of protecting them and defending them and lifting them up. And I think what I would expect from them is for them to protect me as well. So I don't know why when this financier is weighing in with notes, like are they in Video Village with me? You know, are they pulling me aside at lunch? Are they, why is the financier on every single set that we're on? Like I've never seen that, but I'm still very green. You know, I'm still consider myself emerging, but just acknowledging that like, I think I would work with my producers to create boundaries and a chain of communication where they would funnel the idea to the producers at a time that's appropriate after we get our shoot done for the day. You know what I mean? And maybe having a meeting at the end of the day where we talk about whether that's possible for the next day or not with the AD. But I would be integrating into integrating them into the hierarchy of onset protocol much more than what I think this question alludes to, which seems like that they just have carte blanche to just like come in and like tap you on the shoulder and tell you what to do. Like that seems inefficient, right? That seems a little inefficient. So I would just try to figure out a world where they're funneling their thoughts in a place where they feel respected, but then I don't feel um, interrupted creatively. Yeah, totally. And I think like in defense of my investor, like, you know, basically once we agreed upon the version of the script that we both liked and that like, you know, had his notes incorporated on it, he basically left me alone. He's like, yeah, go make the movie, you know, and then like he came to set once and like watched, you know, his wife and was like, that's super nice and like didn't like he didn't even want to talk to me at all during the shoot. He just was there watching the monitor and just like checking in and just seeing and just happy to see everything he we introduced him to our lead actors and whatever and it was cool but yeah his all all his notes came in post just so many notes in post you know but that was like you know it was funny because my producer was like this is what's gonna happen like i've seen he's like i've seen this before if you open the door like this is what he's gonna do and i was like well we need the money there's no yeah. this movie's not gonna get made without his his contribution so Let's go. I can handle it. And it yeah. was, I, I, I don't know, it was fine. And I really like the guy. He's a really nice man. And, you know, he, he did have some really good ideas. Some nice. things he said actually were good and we did and worked, you know, not all, you know, but there was enough that were like that impacted the movie in a very positive way. So, you know, I told him that, like, you should be very proud of it. And it's really, you know, really cool. And. You know, I think he's very happy, although I don't think he's happy with the money situation. But but who is really who's happy with it? Who is? Yeah. Just because they're weighing and doesn't make them evil, doesn't make them inappropriate. I think many financiers do not understand the chain of communication on a on a set. Yeah. And I'm glad that yours was so respectful during production, because I think that's the most stressful 
time for me at the very least. Yeah. I am seeing it go really poorly on this sports show that I'm a part of because like the oh. investor is like wants to be involved in every part of, of the thing. And like it really went south, basically. And we did all these things to try to incorporate him and like bring him in and like no, he's a really great guy, and I feel like the and the director's a really great director. It's just like the way that we it all came together was just not as conducive as it could have been. And I think we like like we wanted to give him access, but then I feel like the director felt like we gave him too much control, and then he made some big decisions that really like you know affected the show. And I don't know, it's still a good show, but it's just like. I think it's just interesting to see how these relationships can go and how they can be positive and how that sometimes yeah. they can be negative, you know, but that's just the way it is. But I would love to hear from everyone. Like, do you have experiences positive or negative with this? We'd love to hear like what you've done in the past with your collaborators, investors and EPs. Like, how do you manage that relationship? Uh, you can send us those thoughts and other, any other question, comment or suggestion to podcast at making movies is hard dot com. Or if you really like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. You can check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They are an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and of course, their top 25 writers list featuring some of their best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Sebastian Tobo for being on the show. Thanks to Austin film festival for inviting us to the festival so we could meet sebastian and have this interview thanks to our editor jeff reimut for doing the editing thanks to robert jones for handling all of our social media and thanks to our producer eric thomas for simply being awesome thanks to you all for listening and we'll talk to you all next week Probably not. This doesn't work like movies. Um, wipe, wipe, putting your hand in front of the lens doesn't work in no. audio. <laughs> <laughs>